Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 71, verses 1 through 6. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb, my praise and continually of you. Second reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I shall send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of God for the people of God. A lot of years ago, more years than I'd like to remember, but at least half a century, I graduated from college as an English major and I became an English teacher. Well, it didn't take me an awful long time to realize that teaching English what I wasn't cut out for. But I do have, and I still have, a love for words. Nothing to do with spelling words. I'm a horrible speller. And I have bad motor coordination, so I couldn't write a sentence that you could read, but I do love words. And if you love words in the English, language has to amuse you sometimes and befuddle you. My fate, I'm a, I'm a, I really love wildlife and the outdoors and stuff, and my favorite animal is a bear. And I think it is maybe because I was a football player, maybe because bears are big and strong. Maybe that's why they're my favorite animal. And I got to thinking now that I'm 77 years old and I get tired pretty easy. Maybe I like bears because they sleep five or six months a year. But if I carry a piano, and in my earlier days I've carried more pianos than I'll ever want to see again, up a stairs, then I'm bearing a heavy weight. If life is pounding me and everything is against me, 
I bear up under the strain of it all. And if you want to pronounce the word bear and spell it different, I could be running around with no clothes on, or it's like what the limbs of the trees are after all the leaves fall. But today I'd like to talk about another word. I'd like to talk about the word wonder. Now wonder is a cause of astonishment and admiration. Well, the quality of exciting and amazed adoration, admiration, rapt attention or astonishing, astonishment at something awesomely mysterious or new to one's experience, or just a feeling of doubt or uncertainty. Anyone here who's ever been a parent has probably spent considerable time in their lives wondering where their kids were, and even more doubt and uncertainty, what are they doing? And then there's the coffee talk the coffee table wonders. You know those beautiful picture books that describe the wonders of the world, man-made wonders, the wonders of the National Park. It's a lot of beauty to wonder at. I experienced this type of wonder Friday night when my wife and one of my grandsons and I escaped the downtown Lebanon, and I drove about seven or eight miles around a place called Moose Mountain, where there's a beautiful old farm where the house burned and the fields are still intact. And if you look to the north, there isn't another town of any size for 30 or 40 miles. So it was a beautiful, clear night. And even my grandson, who's 12 years old, who thinks silence is something to be avoided at all costs, stood there, and we looked in amazement at the stars in the Milky Way. And you can see the satellites going back and forth. You can tell they're satellites because, because they, they have a solid light, and there's no jet sound afterwards. And we saw some shooting stars, and I thought, this is wonder. And even my 12-year-old boy, 12-year-old grandson thought, this is wonder. But today I'd like to focus our attention and our amazement on something that really is awesomely mysterious. And perhaps the greatest of all wonders, and that's you. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but why in 1945 was I born in Lebanon, New Hampshire? Now science and genetics can explain us a lot about our bodies and about our lives, why we have light colored skin, dark colored skin, brown hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, brown eyes. Scientists can tell us all about this thing. And one of the things that always frustrated me is I could never find one of those scientists to explain to me why those genes that said tall, dark, and handsome avoided me and landed on so many of my friends in school.
And then there's a heart that beats inside our body. I'm sure scientists and, and the medical people can tell us all about our heart. And sometimes if, if the heart starts to break and it's caught in time and isn't completely shattered, we know that medicine can fix it. But then there's the other heart that we talk about that's in our, where is it? I don't know whether it's the actually this heart or somewhere in our body. The heart that loves, the heart that feels sorrow, the heart that grieves, the heart that oftentimes gets broken also. Pearl S. Buck, the author, said, there are many ways of breaking a heart. Stories were full of hearts broken by love. What an easy way to make a movie, talk about a heart broken by love. But what really broke a heart was taking away its dream, whatever that dream might be. And I'm sure that psychologists and psychiatrists can fill us in on many of the environmental factors that form us into the humans we are, our families, our upbringing, all, all of these things, our, our you know, associates, the schools we go to, many things combined to decide what type of people we'll be. But can you explain, can the scientists explain, and again, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, but every once in a while I do, and it, how shall you say, blows my mind, that in all recorded history, unless you believe in reincarnation, in all recorded history, there has never been another you. You are unique and perhaps the greatest wonder in this time span we call eternity. In the reading from Jeremiah, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The scripture doesn't say, oh, I see a child is conceived. Let me go see what he or she is about. And is it possible is it possible that God formed us and thought of us even before we were born? If you can accept that fact, it tends to, tends to uh, turn around some of the things we think about God. We question God. We're curious about God. We ask those questions to somebody who might know more than we do. We read books. I don't know how many hundreds of hours I've been in adult Sunday school talking about God. We indulge in sunsets, flowers, the beauty of nature, maybe the symphony or the beauty of the playing of the organ to experience the wonder and glory of God. But is it possible long before we became interested in God, long before we considered God as important, God singled us out as important 
and gave us life. Accepting this concept, if you possibly can, means we come to God as individuals that God already knows. Oftentimes, we we start with the subject of ourselves. How do I relate to God? What is my, what is God's plan for me? We also need to, t- to need to realize that in all creation, in all creation, it didn't begin with our birth, and it won't end probably with our death. We've been brought into this whole time span of eternity to be a part of it. God has, so to speak, brought us into life in the middle of it all. The story wasn't begun with us, and it won't end thus. To think of that, just to think with wonder that you are a part of all this eternity. But God didn't just know, and it also says in the psalm that, that God brought us from, our womb, from the womb. But God didn't just know Jeremiah before Jeremiah was born. God consecrated him before he was born. Consecrated is a very powerful word. powerful word that if we know the meaning of, we think that we consecrate ourselves by giving our lives to Christ. We have rituals that are consecrating rituals. We have baptism. We have joining the church. Every first Sunday of the month, in our church anyway, we experience communion. Once again, a ritual consecrating ourselves to God. One of the Catholic churches in West Lebanon closed a few years back, and they actually had a ceremony, a ritual, unconsecrating the church. But is it possible, is it just possible that though we, we as Christians consecrate our lives to Christ, in our lives to the church. But is it possible even before we were born, God consecrated us to be part of his bit of eternity? Oswell Chambers, who was a Scottish author, said, consecration is the act of continually separating myself from everything except that which God has appointed me to do. It is not a one-time experience, but an ongoing process. My continually separating myself and looking to God every day of my life. The other thing that God did in this passage from Jeremiah is he put words in Jeremiah's mouth. He touched his lips and put words in his mouth. Not everyone can speak well. 
I'm standing up here being able to talk today, and I'll leave it to you to decide whether I speak well or not, but I know that when I'm faced with somebody that is really hurting and really, really needs encouragement, that as an individual, I sometimes struggle with having the words to say. And there aren't many of us, there aren't many of us who have the capacity to change the world or to do great things. We try to make a difference in our own small ways. We all have things that we can use to advance the kingdom. Give me anything to do with my hands. Forget it going to come out a mess. But there's an ancient Celtic saying, and they called it the five-string harp. And we're all given the five-string harp. And this says, bless my hands that they may work hard and honestly and grasp every opportunity to stroke and caress and never be raised in violence. Just my feet, Lord, that I may always walk on hallowed ground and not run in fear, but plod courageously on. Bless my eyes, Lord, that I may see beyond the mass often warm and look deeply into the soul. Help them to drink in beauty and to see suffering and injustice. Bless my ears, Lord, that I might always hear the real message of what is being said. And bless my mind, Lord, that it may always feed and grow on your holy word and consider all things from your godly perspective. If you're among the fortunate who've discovered what abilities you have to be in God's service, I encourage you to continue using them. Teach others if you possibly can. But if you are one who says, what can I do for God? Just remember those five things that you can do, every human being can do. We may not be able to do great things, God consecrated Jeremiah, gave him words to do great things. But not, it's not in all of us. But there is all of us things that we can do to help the kingdom of God. So I do ask you to consider this morning, if you have a moment, the wonder that is your life. There's never been another you. And you're here this morning, I assume, because you believe that you are part of God's creation. You are part of God's eternity. And I really think that if you believe that all things are of God, it's easy to believe that you are of God and were even before you were born. And God has 
perhaps concentrated us, consecrated us to be a part of his journey through eternity. And could there possibly be a greater wonder than that? I'd like to close with a prayer for wonder. Thank you for being God. May your name forever be hallowed in my heart, in my home, in my church, and in my world. We are made to bask in the light of how beautiful you are. It is not enough to agree that you are good. You demand that we enjoy you. You demand that we wonder at you. In your wisdom, you have commanded our wonder. You have not hidden your wonder, you have stamped it throughout creation. The bristle of the tree leaves in a summer wind says wonder. The orange light pouring over the sky in sunrise says wonder. The Milky Way, the planets, the distressing vastness of space, they all say wonder. We have commanded our wonder and have given you as much to wonder at. But wonder doesn't come easy to us, God, like the man in Bunyan's slough of despond. Our eyes are often weighted downwards, away from the majesty and toward the muck. Your night skies go unheeded in the favor of a dull blow, glow of our iPhones. We ignore the wonder of words, how amazing that language is, and focus instead on how we can use them to gain platforms from people we don't pray for. We greet the world you have made not with wonder, delight, and worship, but with cynicism and defensiveness, so occupied with trying to show others that we belong here that we forget why we belong here. Wonderful things are close to us, yet wonder seems far away. If we could just go back to childhood, if we could unlearn what we've learned, if we could lose ourselves once again in pleasure and play, we think we could, would wonder again. Things were better before, we say every day, meaning before this year. We want the good old days, and we want to know we're in them. We want to wonder, and yet feel ourselves wondering. We want to wonder at our wondering. We want so often to wonder at ourselves, but we can't, no matter how hard we try. Self-wonder self, self crumbles under the distractions of life. It is exhausting to see mirrors everywhere. We are tired. We want to see you. Father, help us to do this. Help us to see you. Help us to see you in the beauty of the summer skies and the winter frost. Help us to see you in the great stories. Help us to see you in each other. Help us to see you in the simplest of things, the things we don't even think about because we are distracted. Help us to love where you have put us, with whom you have put us, when you have put us. Help us to wonder, not wander. Help us to wake up every morning eager to wonder at you, who you are and what you've done. Help us not to wake up already imagining ways to make strangers respect us. 
Help us to not see the world through social media, nor through all-consuming careerism. Help us to be productive, but also to rest. And help us remember that work and wonder are not always the same. Help us to be calm in an outraged time. And help us to be quiet in a culture that demands we fill all silence with words. Help us to wonder now, like we will be doing for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.